Good morning. I'd like to start out with some prayer this morning. So let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for giving us an opportunity to study your word again. Um, God, I pray that uh, whatever uh, things might be going on in our lives at this time, allow us to just be fully present at this time, just to be in your word and just to be shaped by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, I forgot to mention a, a quick announcement also this morning. Leon is, well, if you saw Leon this morning, you saw him very briefly. Uh, he took the youth group over to worship at Florida Avenue this morning to kind of uh, collaborate together. Very thankful. He's wanting to go around to different churches in the area and kind of just experience church and life together. So if you see Leon or, or if you have his number, text him and say, hey, we miss you at church, but glad you're doing what you're doing. Love that guy and what he's up to uh, this morning. Uh, So I want to continue, like Brad said, we are in our series in Luke. And last week we talked about uh, the ministry fair a lot. Uh, The ministry fair, I think, was a very successful uh, event. Uh, We had a lot of great food, uh, like Jeff mentioned, and a lot of great ministry collaboration. I hope that you signed up for something uh, last week. I hope you were encouraged and maybe uh, egged on a little bit by your guilt. I'm going to call it conviction instead to get involved in the church. I'm okay with those things, right? Conviction's great. Uh, hopefully you got into that uh, last week. I know I did, and I really appreciated everybody who was involved. Uh, so this week we're going to stay actually in Luke 8. It's a very long chapter. We're not going to read the entire thing, but I would encourage you to do that today, okay? Please make a commitment today that after this, you're going to go home and read the entirety of Luke 8 because there's so much good stuff within it. Uh, but we are going to touch on the rest of the chapter, okay? But uh, before we get there, I want to ask you this question. What is a good question? What is a good question? Is that a good question? I don't know. Uh, when I was in school growing up, uh, I heard this all the time, right? There's no such thing as what? A bad question, right? They, the teachers, they want engagement. They want you to raise your hand and say, teacher, I don't understand this. Teacher, help me to figure this out. And in theory, that's right. In theory, there is no such thing as a bad question, right? And when teachers say it, they want you to engage more, right? If you're asking questions, you're engaging with the material, but there is such a thing as a bad question, right? There is such a thing as a bad question. If you've ever taken a survey before, There's a lot of bad questions out there, right? They have categories. A couple that come to mind are a leading question. You ever heard of these before? If you're doing a survey and the survey says, how awesome was our frozen yogurt? One being awesome and ten being very awesome, right? That's a leading question because you were forced to say, yes, your frozen yogurt is very awesome or awesome at all. When in reality, you didn't like it, right? That's a leading question because it's making you say something you don't necessarily believe in. And there's another uh, question that comes to mind is, is bias, implied bias. A question like that might, might sound a little bit like this. Studies have shown that prolonged use of screens can deteriorate your vision over time. So don't you think that all children should be uh, going back to paper learning in their schools and the, the follow-up question is, if you don't believe this, you must hate kids, right? It's, you're implying something there that says, oh, you must hate children if you don't agree with this statement. Well, the statement might be kind of true, but I also don't hate kids. I don't know how to answer this question. That is a bad question, right? 
And I thought about a few others too. It's, it's questions that you already know the answer to or questions that you don't really want to know the answers to. They kind of have a Venn diagram overlapping effect, right? The age old question, do I look fat in these jeans? I might know the answer to that question. I don't want to know the answer to that question. But sometimes we ask those questions. Sometimes those questions come from a place of we're fishing for a compliment maybe or we're fishing for something other than what we already believe to be the answer to that question. I think that's a bad question, right? The questions that we already know the answer to are sometimes not very good questions for us to ask. And we can keep going, but I want you to think about these questions in your mind. Questions in general, what their usefulness is, and kind of what their uselessness can be at times. But questions in general, and the reason why I bring this up is because if you were to read through the rest of chapter 8, there are so many questions being asked throughout all these stories. Questions after questions. And as I read and keep reading and reading and reading, they really stood out to me. Okay, today I want to focus on these stories, but most importantly, I want to focus on the questions asked within these stories. So we go to the first story that Brad just read to us about Jesus calming the storms, right? They're going to the other side, and Jesus falls asleep. In the meantime, there's a storm that's taking place, and things are going sideways very quickly for these professional boaters. These professional fishermen are scared for their lives, And they wake up Jesus saying, you got to do something because we're about to die. And these two questions come up, right? Jesus, he calms the storm, he rebukes the waves and the wind, and he says this, where is your faith to the disciples? And the disciples are kind of stunned at what they've just experienced. And their question is, who is this? Where is your faith? Who is this? It's interesting, I, I feel that in, in this situation, Jesus is asking this question almost out of frustration, right? Where is your faith? Haven't you seen me do incredible things thus far in our experience as being friends? Are you not entertained, right? Not, not so much that. But are you not, like, just fully aware of the things that I have the capacity to do? Where is your faith in what I'm able to do? But there's also this question, who is this? The disciples ask, and it's interesting because that kind of seems to be the theme throughout all of the gospel, right? He comes in and encounters these different people, and they're not sure what box to put Jesus into. Who is this, Jesus? Who are you? What are you up to at this moment? Okay, so the next story, moving on, Jesus and Legion, one of my favorite New Testament stories because it's kind of creepy, Right? So Jesus, he goes across the lake and he goes to this place, and I've talked about it before. If I'm with Jesus in this moment, I'm offering to stay back with the boat. Jesus, you go do what you're up to doing, and I'm going to stay with the boat, okay? But he goes across the way, and he meets this man who is chained up in a cage off by himself, out of his mind. Very, very complex situation. I get into the kind of inner workings of this. What led to this situation for this guy? Right, because you know it didn't happen day one. Oh, we gotta go chain this guy out. Things probably transpired to the point where that was a necessity for safety or for whatever it might be. But I think about that, and man, I just experienced deep sadness for this man who's experiencing this. And I think that Jesus is experiencing that as well, and that's why he steps in to the situation. So he encounters Legion, and this is the question that Legion asks of Jesus: What do you want with me? 
Jesus, Son of the Most High God, what do you want with me? And it's so curious to me. I didn't put Jesus there, but this is what Jesus' question is. What is your name? Man, it just sounds so profound. I wonder the last time this man was asked that question. What's your name? Or even just a simple, you know, human interaction. I wonder if this has been the first time in a long time that Jesus, or that anybody is interacting with this man who's chained up in a cave. But Jesus gets into this situation and asks the question, what is your name? It's interesting. What do you want with me, Jesus, and what is your name? Very, very interesting. I want you to keep this in mind as we go to the next story. So we get to this next part where Jairus' daughter is being uh, uh, spoken for on behalf of Jairus' daughter on behalf of Jairus is coming to Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, And this bleeding woman. So Jesus, he's going through and Jairus, who's a synagogue leader, goes to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter is sick. We need your help now. And Jesus, along the way, there's a bunch of crowds and someone reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, right? And this woman is healed. And the question that Jesus asks in this situation is, who touched me? Okay, Jesus, why are you asking this question? His disciples are even like, look around. Everybody's touching everybody. There is no way that we could possibly know what you're meaning here, Jesus. Why are you asking this question? There's so many people around. It makes no sense. And then he goes from this place and and he heals this woman, obviously, who touches the hem of his garment. And he goes to Jairus' daughter and he's an advocate for her as well. He says, be well. And everybody starts to laugh at Jesus. This this girl is dead. He says, get up and walk. And she does. Beautiful, right? There's so much to take away from this. So much that we can do. There's so much, so many questions that we can continue to ask. But I am struck by the questions within these stories more so than anything. And like I said, this is kind of the theme throughout all of Luke that we've been studying, right? The the disciples ask, who is this? The demon knows who this is, but then there's still this ambiguity. What are you up to, Jesus? Because we cannot simply put you in a box. Still, the same questions are being asked today. Who are you, Jesus? People encountering Jesus for the first time this very day are asking that same question. And the question will continue to be asked because it's so amazing and so incredible, the things that Jesus is able to do for people even still today. No, we're not going around and touching the hem of his garment, but we are still to this day transfixed by who Jesus was and continues to be. So let's go back to this idea of questions. There is such a thing as a bad question. We all said that, right? We all understand that. So my question is, is Jesus asking bad questions? Because our logic before, right, these are the questions that Jesus himself asked in these stories. Where is your faith? What is your name? And who touched me? By my understanding, Jesus, you already know all the answers to all of these questions. Jesus, these are bad questions. You know where their faith is, Jesus. You know that they're going to struggle now and they're going to continue to struggle as they lead your church. But that is not really necessarily what's going on here, right? You know the answer, Jesus. Why are you asking it? What is your name, Jesus? You certainly know his name, right? We we talk about in the Psalms, about you in the Proverbs of you knowing every strand of hair that's on her head. I'm sure you could figure out this guy's name. 
And Jesus, really, who touched me? Really? You're going to ask that question. Of all the questions you could ask at that time, you're going to ask a simple question that you probably, definitely, most certainly know the answer to. Jesus, stop asking bad questions. And of course, I'm being silly here. I'm not saying Jesus is actually asking bad questions. Bear with me here. But it seems that he already knows the answers to all these questions. But I want you to think back to these stories one time more. One one time more, once again. All these stories, every single time that Jesus is interacting and asking these types of questions, he's being met with an absolutely desperate situation. Right? If you were to actually read the words like begging and... and, um, and pleading are used over and over again, right? Uh, if you look at, and uh, just the disposition of the sinful woman reaching out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, that sounds pretty desperate to me. And each and every single one of these, desperation is involved. And Jesus doesn't all of a sudden just say, hey, I'm here to fix the problem. Don't worry, I got a band-aid to fix the solution. Don't cry anymore. He always meets them with a question. The desperate times call for honest questions and reflections. So I go through this, and I, and, I keep, and I was thinking, Jesus, you know all the answers to this, but guys, I guess what? I, I guess I was wrong about questions. Because really, when we ask questions that we already know the answer to, sometimes that could be misguided, but when a good teacher asks questions they already know the answer to, guess what they're trying to get out of their students? Growth. So the teachers at the very beginning, they're the right ones, right? No question is a bad question. Jesus here asking these questions, these are not bad questions because it's asking the people who are receiving the questions to go a little deeper, to be pricked at the heart even more so. In all of these situations, Jesus is asking these questions to get them out of their desperation and to reflect on what he's about to do for them. Right? In the storm, when they're, they're frantically searching for an answer, And they finally get one. He's like, guys, where is your faith? Things are going to get a lot harder for you. (laughs) These kind of questions, this kind of wrestling you're going to have to do in this moment, you're going to have to continue to do, especially you guys who are going to be the the carriers of my my word into the world long after I'm dead. The fact that they had to wrestle with the question, where is your faith, is the reason why we are sitting here today. Do you realize that? Of course, Jesus could have downloaded us with information the moment we were born, but the fact that we are sitting here in Melbourne, Florida in 2024 is because they wrestled with the question, where is your faith, and kept going. That's awesome, but it started with a question. And I look at Legion, what is your name? Like I said, there's a very human connection there. He might be speaking to the demon. He might be speaking to the man that's being controlled by the demon. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, he challenged the perception of that moment and made it something else. He spoke to what was happening and changed the entire narrative. And all of a sudden, the entire story changes. Jairus' daughter, we don't really have a a distinct question from from Jairus, but I'm guessing he asked, can you help me? (laughs) And his response was going and helping. But in the middle of that story, this bleeding woman who comes to Jesus, touches the hem of his garment, is immediately healed. Who touched me? It's like he wants to have further dialogue. He wants to find out the situation to say, hey, guess what? Your faith is incredible. But it all starts with that question, meeting the people where they are and asking them to go further. 
And this is what I come to. Of course, Jesus' questions are not bad. In fact, they're fantastic because Jesus' questions elicit action. These great questions, they elicit action. It's the mo- he's the most captivating teacher of all time. And like I said, good questions or good teachers ask good questions. But I go to the, 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 the further part of it, but why, Jesus? Why do you have to get us to these places? Why do we have to be so desperate? Why do we have to get to the situation where we're saying, I need you at this moment, and then you ask me a question? It's not fair. Can you please just do what I'm asking you to do? But like I said, these desperate times, they could be easily mended by Jesus. Any time that you're going through anything in life, they could be easily mended by the the intervention of Jesus. We all believe that and we all affirm that. And I'm not saying that Jesus is saying, I hope you're in a bad situation so you come to me. But the fact of the matter is we live in a broken world and bad situations just happen. But that doesn't remove Jesus from the equation. That doesn't remove Jesus from asking you questions, even in these desperate times, to elicit an action on your behalf. And that question might be as simple as, do you trust me? That might be the same question that he asked the disciples in the boat, where is your faith? These simple questions getting us to really think and analyze, where is my faith? Am I putting too much faith in myself or, le- or, or re- excuse me, I can't speak, or reason? Am I putting my faith in something else besides you? Because Jesus, I do trust you, but I don't know what to do. And I think that if Jesus were sitting in the room with you, he would ask the question one more time, do you trust me? I think back to my absolute favorite story in all the New Testament, not the creepy one in, here in Luke, but the breakfast on the beach that Jesus has with, with, with Peter. And they share this meal together, and then Jesus asked him that question three times. You remember, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That question certainly elicited action on behalf of Peter. That question made him do incredible things. Again, the reason why we're sitting here today is because somebody took these questions, wrestled with them, and thought it was important enough to keep going through the questions, keep going through the doubt. Jesus understands that we need to learn lessons and not just be told them at times, right? Because everybody has access to this, right? If you scan the back of your bulletin, you have access to our online, where, where where the Bible app will take you to these things, and you have the Bible on your phone. Everybody has access to this. But even though we read this, we still don't necessarily learn this. And it's only through expecting Jesus to ask you difficult questions and wrestling with them does it actually become learned material. Taking those questions and putting them into practice. So I have two things this morning, that specific things that I want you to walk away with. One, about you being the disciple, about you being the one receiving the question, but also about being the disciple maker yourself. Because remember, the past two weeks we've been talking about this, right? This uh, good sower and this light on, that, that needs to be shown to the world. That's us doing the showing and doing the, the um, harvesting or the, the sowing. But the first is about being a disciple, and it's this. What is Jesus asking you right now? I want you to put yourself in Luke 8. And it might not be this specific situation, but whatever your life situation is right now, it's framed in Luke 8. 
I want you to think of where you are and Jesus is coming to you. What question is he asking you today? Whatever you're going through, think about what Jesus would ask of you right now. It could be, like I said, as simple as, do you trust me? It could be as simple as, where is your faith? Or it could be as specific as you necessarily, not necessarily want it to be, right? Because those are the kind of questions that Jesus often asks. Maybe you are not in a desperate situation, but that doesn't remove you from the fact that Jesus is probably asking you a question still to this day. What is he leading you to do and be about? As the disciple, I want you to ask this question of yourself. But as the disciple maker, as the one who is going and and sowing seed on good soil and sometimes not great soil, as as the person who is supposed to be carrying this light of the kingdom of God into the world everywhere we go, how can you ask better questions of other people? And right, two weeks ago we talked about this. Good soil exists. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus tells us this parable about good soil and then he goes and meets our friend Legion. Because everybody, including me, staying back with the boat would say, this is not good soil, Jesus. This is scary soil. I don't want to be here. But Jesus says, know what? This is great soil. It's great soil here on the boat where you guys are frantic. It's great soil where I'm on the way and I'm meeting this guy, Legion, and with Jairus' daughter and with this bleeding woman. All of this is good soil when I ask good questions. So my question is this. How can you ask better questions as you go along your life? And I said this many times as well. I can't perform miracles. I have yet to do that. Harding did not teach me that. Um, I've never multiplied food. I've never cured someone's disease. And I look at Jesus and I'm like, man, he's incredible. But one of the things that we can do is try to have more conversations like Jesus would. We can harness the power of good conversations. We can harness the power of good questions to help the people that we're studying with or the people in our lives to have that moment where they have to wrestle with Jesus. They're not wrestling with, with you, literally, and with, and with their minds. They're not wrestling with that because of you, but you are leading them to a place where they are being asked that question by Jesus. As disciple makers, we need to be intent on asking really good questions. And not because we're good speakers or good linguists or that we can come up with the the best, but really speaking to their soul, tapping into what they need to hear and what they need to be wrestling with. We can do that. We ought to be excited about doing that. We ought to be excited that we can kind of harness this power that Jesus has so well into our own lives. So I want to encourage you this morning as disciple makers, know that good soil exists and seek to ask those questions better. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for giving us uh, all the things that take place in Luke 8. And God, I really just want us to walk away knowing that we have to be answering these questions. These questions of where is your faith still ring true to us today. The simple questions that, we, that seem simple, like what is your name, still is a challenge. The things that we go through in life, the desperate times we often feel super isolated, I pray that we're able to see these questions that you ask us and not see it as, a, as an offense or as something that we need to get defensive about, but to really say, I really do need to wrestle with that. I really do need to 
inspect my own life and see where I'm falling short. God, help us to be uh, patient with ourselves. And God, help us to, I'm, we're, I'm asking for patience from you, Jesus, as I continue to wrestle with these things. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. So if you have uh, those things in your life that you're struggling with, uh, we all do. You are not alone. But if you're afraid to answer these questions, you have people here that are willing, more than willing and able to walk alongside you as you wrestle with them in your life. If you want to give your life over to Christ in baptism, we always offer that, not just on Sundays, but morning, evening, night, whenever, we will make it happen. Because the biggest question that Jesus is asking us right now is, will you follow me? Will you trust me? And if your answer is yes to that and you haven't taken him on in baptism, you got something to do. If you have anything at all, won't you come forward while we stand and sing?